Real estate is big business in China. According to some experts, real estate and its associated industries could make up close to a third of China's economy. And one of the biggest players in that industry is a company called Evergrande. What is the Evergrande Group? Fundamentally, it's one of the biggest residential property developers in China. That's our colleague, Quentin Webb. You have a company that has 800 or so projects in 200 plus cities across China. So just the kind of sheer scale of it is pretty phenomenal. Evergrande has projects in every mainland Chinese province. And it owns enough land to build buildings with a total of more than 50,000 acres of floor space. And I was just adding this up earlier, and that is effectively the same floor area as having 700 One World Trade Center buildings. Evergrande rode the wave of one of the biggest housing booms in history. It helped make homeownership a reality for millions of Chinese citizens. But now, Evergrande has run out of money, and it's on the brink of default. On the scale of defaults, I mean, this would be one of the biggest in history. It would certainly be a milestone for China. Welcome to The Journal, our show about money, business, and power. I'm Ryan Knudsen. It's Tuesday, September 28th. Coming up on the show, the crisis at Evergrande and what it could mean for the Chinese economy. This episode is brought to you by Vonage. With Vonage Video API, your developers can easily create custom video experiences tailored to your business. Enhance every conversation with live video, whether it's delivering faster tech support, improving customer service, or enabling interactive meetings and events. Unlock the true video potential of your business. Discover how at Vonage.com. As recently as the 1990s, individual homeownership was rare in urban China. Government rules made buying a home cumbersome and expensive. But in 1998, housing reforms threw open the door to private homeownership. And things changed, quickly. As with a lot of things in China, you know, they've gone through sort of periods of economic development that took other countries 100 years or more in a much faster time period. And so one of the stories of the last few decades has been the development of a kind of private housing market. China experienced a housing and building boom that transformed society. Today, 96% of urban Chinese households own at least one home. And one company that drove that housing boom and benefited from it was Evergrande. What's Evergrande's origin story? Well, so Evergrande is about 25 years old, and it was founded by a man called Hoi Ka Yan, who comes originally from an impoverished village in central Hunan province. But he worked hard, went to college, worked in a state-owned steel company, and later founded Evergrande. And what kind of homes was Evergrande selling, and what kind of people were buying them? Yeah, so I'd say Evergrande is a very kind of... It's a sort of aspirational home builder for the Chinese middle class. Most of the developments are in sort of suburban areas. They're scattered throughout China in more than 200 cities. So it's not just about the rich kind of urbanites in Beijing, Shanghai and Shenzhen, but it's about people in many slightly smaller places across China. 
And what do these developments look like? If you travel across China, you'd probably see big blocks of them. These are typically kind of multi-building, high-rise complexes, you know, with a lot of facilities. So you'll have kind of kindergartens and sports centers and other facilities attached to them. And they'll have kind of sort of rather aspirational names. So they have one series that's called Emerald Court and another series that's called Royal Scenic Bay. Sounds nice. <laughs> it does sound nice. Chinese homebuyers agreed and were buying them up. Some customers even bought Evergrande apartments years before they were even finished. They paid up front, sometimes in full. And they weren't just looking for a place to live. A lot of Evergrande's customers were looking for a place to invest. In recent years, the housing market has been super hot. And it's become, you know, the kind of default way in which Chinese families invest for the future. A lot of people don't really trust the stock market because it's been a bit prone to boom and bust in the last couple of decades. And so instead, you know, many people prefer to put their money into property. And because they're so used to kind of seeing the housing market grind higher and higher year after year, uh, the assumption is that in a few years' time, they might be able to flip it for a profit. Many investment properties in China are vacant. By one estimate in 2017, 21% of homes in urban China were empty. All that demand for homes to live in and invest in sent home prices skyrocketing. Today, the median price per square foot in China isn't that far off from the price it is in the U.S. All this growth was great for Evergrande, but beneath the company's success was a staggering debt load. On one level, Evergrande's borrowing wasn't surprising. Building hundreds of massive multi-tower developments takes a ton of cash. Because you need to kind of buy the land, then you need to kind of pay the contractors to build the buildings. And as Evergrande has grown, they have found that there are all these avenues open to them to borrow. And so they avail themselves of all of these. And who was lending to Evergrande? In a short answer, everyone was lending to Evergrande. So, you know, they borrowed from banks in China. They borrowed from bond investors in China. They borrowed from global bond investors. And were they getting a good deal on all this debt? What, were, what was the interest rate like that they were paying? Well, in some cases, they were willing to pay really quite eye-watering interest rates. So on some of the international bonds, they were paying, you know, double-digit percentages. Wow. And you've got to remember, we live in a low-interest rate environment nowadays. Even what's called high-yield is, you know, not generally above 10% in most markets. So these were very punishing rates. As of this summer, Evergrande was $89 billion in debt and had massive interest payments to go along with it. Was this amount of debt that Evergrande was taking on, was it normal for a Chinese company or a Chinese company in real estate? Well, so Chinese corporations are addicted to debt. If you look at the ratio of non-financial corporate debt in China to GDP, it's basically double the level in the U.S., so there are numerous instances of companies kind of overstretching themselves. On the other hand, yes, Evergrande is part of a trend, but it's maybe a kind of exceptionally aggressive exemplar of that trend. You know, there are other big property companies comparable in scale to Evergrande that were more conservative in how they arranged their finances. But for a long time, managing its debt wasn't a big problem for Evergrande. As long as the company sold enough homes to stay ahead of its interest payments, it was okay. And Evergrande was also diversifying, getting into businesses beyond real estate. 
It got into healthcare and launched an electric vehicle business. It invested in a Chinese soccer team. It even launched a bottled water brand and paid Jackie Chan to promote it. In this commercial, Chan does martial arts with a giant hovering water droplet. You know, they were making hay. They were doing really well. And then it all started to fall apart. That's after the break. This episode is brought to you by Indeed. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash journal. Terms and conditions apply. This episode is brought to you by Canva. It's time to ditch your old presentation programs at work and try Canva presentations instead. It'll help you create stunning slides in no time. No design experience needed. Just start with one of the designer-made templates or generate something in seconds with AI. Then polish it up and get ready to wow your audience. It's that easy. Nail your next work presentation with Canva presentations at canva.com. Designed for work. Tap the banner to learn more. In early 2020, in response to the pandemic, China shut down. Just one day before China's massive Lunar New Year holiday, an unprecedented act. More than 50 million people, that's right, 50 million people are on a travel lockdown in Wuhan, the center of the epidemic, and surrounding cities. The streets. Everyday life ground to a halt, and so did home sales, which created a big problem for Evergrande. You know, they need to keep cash coming through the door because they have these large borrowings. Evergrande wasn't selling homes, so the company took drastic action. It put its apartments on sale for as much as 25% off. And that seemed to do the trick. And by mid or late 2020, Evergrande contracted sales were rising very rapidly year over year. And actually, things were looking up. But then Evergrande faced another setback, this time from the Chinese government. Chinese officials had been watching the real estate boom, and increasingly they were worried about the amount of debt companies like Evergrande were piling on. They saw it as a potential risk to the economy. And so, last year, the government instituted a new set of rules governing how much real estate companies could borrow. They called them the Three Red Lines. So the Three Red Lines is basically a test of how indebted developers are. One test is a measure of how your liabilities measure up to your assets. The second test is how much cash you have compared to your short-term debt. And the third test is a thing called your net gearing ratio, which is another measure of indebtedness. When the rules first came out, Evergrande crossed all three lines, meaning it couldn't take on more debt. But it still had to make those interest payments. And that began to create cash flow problems. Things started to unravel in early to mid-2021. Evergrande's share price started to kind of dip downwards and then sort of inexorably grind lower and lower. There were some issues where, for example, some payments were frozen. It got into some disputes with contractors. There were some instances of construction being halted. More recently, Evergrande had to resort to paying contractors and suppliers with unfinished properties 
in lieu of paying them in cash, which pointed to a very severe lack of funds, effectively. As the bad news built around Evergrande, contractors, investors, and customers started to get nervous about whether they'd lose their money. And they started to get loud. In a video posted on Chinese social media, protesters gathered outside an Evergrande office building in Hunan province. They chanted at Evergrande, return the money. And then, last Thursday, Evergrande's financial problems came to a head. That day, the company was due to make an important interest payment. In absolute terms, the sum wasn't very big. It was something of the order of $83 million. Hmm. But it has much greater kind of importance than that for the financial future of Evergrande, effectively. Yeah, what was at stake? Well, if they fail to pay this, then it brings them a step closer to a default on their international debt. And if and when they do default, that would be, by some long way, the largest ever default by a company in Asia. As the payment date approached, Evergrande reported it was facing unprecedented difficulties. And it said it was doing everything possible to restore normal business operations and protect customers. By Thursday, it was still unclear whether the company would be able to pay up. Throughout Thursday, investors were waiting to hear if there was some sort of official statement from Evergrande, or failing that, you know, people who were actually expecting the payment were checking to see if it landed in their bank account. And did Evergrande make the payment? As we're talking right now, they haven't paid, nor have they said anything about it. Evergrande hasn't responded to requests for comment since it missed its payment. While Evergrande didn't make its $83 million payment Thursday, it did reach a settlement on another interest payment that came due last week. As for the payment it didn't make, Evergrande still has a 30-day grace period before its creditors can demand their money back. But if the company doesn't pay, it could end up in default. How worried are people about an Evergrande default? I mean, the very fact of the market reaction tells you how worried people are. And because it's such a big company and because it has so many linkages into the broader Chinese economy, there was a kind of unanswered question about what a collapse of Evergrande, if it were allowed to happen, would lead to. And what could a collapse of Evergrande lead to? Well, you know, the kind of bearish way of thinking about this is to ask whether this is China's Lehman moment, i.e. does this cause a kind of widespread systemic financial shock like we saw after Lehman Brothers was allowed to fail in September 2008. And I think the consensus opinion there is that it's unlikely to be the same. For a start, Evergrande's failure is pretty well telegraphed in that we've had months of collapsing bond prices. Secondly, it's probably not quite as interconnected as a big global financial institution like Lehman Brothers was. And thirdly, you know, the Chinese government has quite a lot of control over its own economy and its own financial system. And so perhaps if we do see unexpected flare-ups, the Chinese authorities might be able to kind of address those either through liquidity injections or whatever other measures they need to take. Quinn says that perhaps the most surprising thing about Evergrande's crisis might be just how unsurprising it is. Evergrande played close to the financial edge for years. He says there's a term that's popular in China that describes this kind of situation. It's called the gray rhino. The gray rhino is a term popularized by a, a writer called Michelle Wacker. 
And effectively, the grey rhino is a big, obvious risk that's just lumbering straight towards you and you somehow don't deal with it. It's not a black swan, so something that you couldn't extrapolate from your existing models that was a surprise until you saw it. And it seems to me that, in a sense, Evergrande is one of these grey rhinos because it was an open secret, if you like, for years that it was a very financially aggressive company that had borrowed very heavily and yet, you know, the rhino kept charging towards us. That's all for today, Tuesday, September 28th. The Journal is a co-production of Gimlet and The Wall Street Journal. Special thanks to Xia Yu and Elaine Yu for their reporting in this episode. Thanks for listening. See you tomorrow.